Well, good morning. We're going to kick off and uh, have a little uh, comparison game, right? So I'm going to throw through three pictures on the screen here, and uh, we're going to have a little conversation about what do these relate to one another. So for those of you who don't know, one of the best wartime movies of all time is Rambo over here, First Blood Part Two. Um, actually, raise your hand if you have no idea who Rambo is. I just need to get an understanding here of what we're talking about. All right. Ken, I'm a little disappointed. There will be a showing in the student room at Potluck. You and one of my sons are the only ones never heard of Rambo. Uh, so Rambo is, you just, you picture the soldier of fortune who whatever you need accomplished in the worst parts of the world, he will do it alone. He will make it happen, right? So what do the three, these three things have in common up on the screen here? Uh, maybe things that if you saw on a street at night, you'd be terrified. That would probably be correct. Uh, maybe things that if you stay up late on the weekend, you'd probably binge watch something around these, right? Rambo will come on somewhere and there'll be some documentary on snakes and tigers. Uh, you'd be correct if that's what you thought. But honestly, what each of these have in common, what I have in mind for us as kind of an illustration is that these are solitary creatures that seem to function in life alone and isolated for the most part. And uh, that's kind of the combination there. And the reality is, is that uh, each one of us, most of us in this room, have grown up in a very individualistic society. And a society that prizes independence and individualism and uh, there are a host of good things that come with that, but when we try to bring that over to Christianity, it doesn't work so well. And the point is, is that there are no real Rambos in Christianity, right? Um, tigers and, the, and uh, snakes are solitary creatures. People aren't, and that's just a movie. But we can bring it over to Christianity and think that in some ways we can function on our own and uh, within our faith. It's just me and God. And what we have in Proverbs, and really throughout the whole Bible, but Proverbs specifically, really presupposes and assumes that you and I need companions. We need to walk with somebody, that this life can't be done on its own. And so uh, what I want to draw your distinction to um, is just this difference between what does it look like to live independently in the Christian life and interdependently. And so independence functions functionally says, I don't need anybody else's help, or it's optional. I need it sometimes. And so some signs of kind of functional independence in Christianity, or what I would say Rambo Christianity, would be people don't really know you on a deeper level. You don't really have much accountability with others. There's not really any environments where you're sharing some deeper struggles or victories in your life. And ultimately, others' perspectives on your life can be helpful, but not really needed all the time right? So that's kind of some signs of functional independence. And really, independence leads to isolation, and a lot of issues flow from isolation. And the point is, is that you deny your humanity when you and I live like we're uh, isolated. And so, but interdependence is something very different. Interdependence both acknowledges our responsibility and embraces our limit and needs for others. It, interdependence says, I am not objective about my life. And I need both the connection and the insight of others to function well, the way God's designed me. And Proverbs assumes that you and I need to live interdependently. And Proverbs gives us a lot of practical insight on what that interdependence actually looks like on the ground for us. 
And that's where our Proverbs are going to take us today. But before we kind of dive in and to ask that, what does this interdependence look like in Proverbs for our lives? I want us to recap kind of where we've been to set the foundation for us. So we spent three weeks in Proverbs 1 through 9, essentially, and those set us up for the second half of Proverbs, which is 10 through 31, that deals with all the different topics in life. And so we're kind of transitioning. We've set the framework for the first three weeks, and now we're transitioning to topics, topics that Proverbs deals with. And that's where we're at this week. And uh, I want to kind of keep in mind where we've been because it really influences how we read these other Proverbs. We can, we can turn and open up the book of Proverbs and just pull a proverb out and just think it, uh, just take it at face value. And if we don't understand where it comes from and the foundation of the book, it's going to be really hard to live in light of what God intends. And so uh, we learned in the first week that wisdom's a pathway we pursue, not answers to all of life's questions. There's no magic uh, eight ball in the in the Proverbs where you just flip it and it gives you exactly what you need for your life right now. It's just it's a pathway that you got to wrestle through. Uh, but it's a pathway centered on our King and Father. It's not a self-help book. The rest of the Bible in the Gospel and the Proverbs is self-help. It's just not the way it works. The Proverbs is built on this reality. Wisdom is centered on a joyful awe of God. And if you separate it from that, it's just not going to make sense. And you definitely can't live in light of it. And then we talked for two weeks on just what this, if we're going to walk this pathway, we're going to have to trust his understanding, and we're going to be, have to be teachable to him and others. And there's just no other way that that is what it calls us to live out. And I want to uh, point out to you a couple interpretive challenges before we start dealing with the topics, because these topics are going to, all, almost all the Proverbs we deal with are going to be these kind of short little pithy sayings. And they're different than a lot of other parts of the Bible and how we understand them. So just want to give you two thoughts. Keep in mind, and we'll remind you of these as we're going on. But the, the Proverbs are not promises, but principles. So we don't claim them like a gospel promise. We don't look at them like equations that two plus two always equals four. It's just not the way Proverbs, they're generally true. Generally. They're going to be life situations that match up where they don't pan out the way the Proverbs say. But that's, that's wisdom literature. Okay, this isn't a gospel narrative. They're different in that sense. And so we've got to keep that in mind as we're going forward. But they're also not absolute statements on the topic. They don't tell, tell us everything there is to know about a particular topic. They're designed just to get us to think and wrestle and come up with an application in our context. So even as we're talking about friends in God's world today, and the Proverbs we're going to deal with, don't tell us everything that we need to know about friendship. It's not a systematic understanding of friendship, nor, is it, nor does it, do the Proverbs give us everything there is in the Bible about relationships, but they're designed to give us a truth, a principle for our moment that challenges us and pushes us to figure out what does it look like where I'm at in my life right now. And so that's how we want to think about it. And so uh, for us, we're not going to be able to tackle everything there is on friendships in the Bible, but I want us to speak to a few Proverbs that deal with what interdependence looks like for you and I, because I feel like we, we tend to bring into Christianity our independence, and Proverbs is going to give us a breath of fresh air of what interdependence looks like. And so our big picture, where we're going, it'll be up on your screen, it's on your outline. This is what I'm praying God will do in us this morning. He'll help us to see friends in God's world steward their power to influence through two ways, their faithful presence and their sharpening counsel. So there's power to steward and we do it through our faithful presence and our sharpening counsel. Let's pray. Father, as we sit before your word this morning, um, we acknowledge that we don't deserve you to work in our life. We're not coming to this worship service 
to offer up our good works this week or the things we didn't do. We come knowing that we're sinners, we're broken, our lives are messy, we struggle. We've got all sorts of motivations. Half of us are probably thinking about uh, lunch or football later today. Half of us are worried about what happened last week or this week coming up. And we just come in a mess. And what we ask you to do this morning is that you would meet us where we are. God, you have something to say about relationships And it is really contradictory to what this world says about relationships. So would you teach us? Would you bring insight into our lives? Would you do what we have no power to do, which is to make your word come alive? And above all, would you point us toward your friendship and your love in a powerful way this morning? It's in your name that we ask these things. Amen. So we're going to start off with the power of friends to influence us. We're going to see this in Proverbs 13, 20. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So you've got this phrase is walk and companion. And and these tell us the types of relationships have influence over us. Those who know us, right? And we know them. Those we spend time with or doing life with. That's the picture of walking and companion. These are the type of relationships that influence. And and, in this verse is very clear that they do influence us. That we give weight and influence to those we walk with in life. Those we walk with in life will shape how we think what we treasure, what we pursue, no matter how independent you are, independently minded you are, those you walk with will shape how you think, what you desire, what you pursue in life. This is kind of a biblical principle. Why is that? Why would that be the case? Well, ultimately, relationships have power to influence because it's hardwired into our nature. Everyone that walked into this morning are made in the image of God, and that has implications in our life. And the God we worship is a triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who have been in eternal relationship for all of his existence. Now, what that means in all the details, I'll let Shane tell you after the service. He'd love to have a potluck discussion over that, so you're welcome to join him. Uh, For me, it's a a mystery. Most theologians, it's a mystery, what all that means. But it does mean this at least. God is relational, and so are you. And relationships have influence in our life because you are made in the image of a relational God. And we start there, we begin there, that relationships have power to influence because of those things. And this is why Proverbs will place place a lot of emphasis on friendships and relationships because of that very reality. We're made in the image of God. So how do relationships influence? Well, I've been thinking a lot about this and uh, and going through the the study this week, just, well, I, I really think that relationships influence us in very subtle ways over time. And so sometimes it's really hard. Uh, I, I, for myself, have thought, thought of myself in the worst of light that I'm just this self-made man, right? That I, I got to where I am because of my own work and effort. And I failed to acknowledge the way relationships have just naturally influenced me over time. So as I've been thinking about it, I think about it like this. How do they influence us? Oftentimes we imitate those we're around. Their tastes literally rub off on us. Good or bad, right? So uh, this is kind of funny. When I first, we first moved here eight years ago, my kids noticed I started saying a word more often uh, when I was in, in the house. And it's, it, it was fabulous. I would just call things fabulous. And my kids just made fun of me. Dad, why are you saying fabulous all the time? And I thought about it. I don't know why I'm saying it. And then I realized Shane said it a lot. <laughs> and I started saying it just naturally. Just, I was just around them more than other people and it just started coming out, right? You, there, are things, there are little things that Jill, we just hired her as our office admin, that she does that I start doing. And I'm like, what, why am I? Just Jill does it. That's who we're around rub off on us. So when I was younger, I... I hate to admit it, but I like country music. I said that quietly. 
Um, not proud of it. It's not something I look back on that I'm thankful for about my life. But why did I listen to Clint Black? Because some of my friends did. And their taste, good or bad, rubbed off on me, right? This happens. This, ha this is natural. This is, and it's not wrong. You're not weak if this happens. You are made in the image of God. Relationships influence. But another way they influence is they bring kind of natural social pressures to conform and normalize certain behaviors. And this is really more obvious when you're younger and more subtle when you're older, right? So typically when we think about uh, you're going to be shaped by your friends, we tell that to our teenagers and our younger kids because it really matters because we see very different ways people live. But as you get older, it happens as well, right? So if, if it's normal for those you're around to talk about their boss and cheat the clock, then guess what? Over time, that will normalize it for you and you'll begin to find yourself wanting to do those same patterns. It's just a natural social pressure, right? It works the other way as well. If, it's, if those you're closest to talk about following healthy business practice, they avoid overwork, they try to get to guard time with their family, what's that going to do for you? It's going to normalize that, those patterns of behavior for you. And it's become a natural good social pressure that's going to influence your life relationships influence. And notice this passage says they can influence us in one of two directions, right? Towards becoming wise or towards foolishness that leads to harm. And that harm could be physical, emotional, spiritual, any of those things. And again, this is not a promise, but a principle. Generally true. You and I will in large part be shaped by who our companions are to our good or to our detriment, right? And this is subtle most of the time. And what I mean by that is that, I'll give, I'll give it to you like this. So Steve Asmus asked a uh, question of our Connect group, and he asked this, what, was, what are some of the uh, moments of you were a companion of fools in your life? And most everybody answered something that when they were in their teenage or college type years, whether they went to college or not, those kind of span of time. Because for a lot of us, when we look back on our life, we identify as foolishness as stupid outward things we did because we couldn't think straight at that time, right? We could give you a whole list of them. But that's not the way Proverbs refers to foolishness. Proverbs says foolishness is when you and I try to live independently of God. Foolishness, Proverbs says, is when self's at the center, not God. So just think about the culture we live in. What's at the center? Self. It's everywhere. And you and I are a lot more influenced by the culture than we realize and so when we wake up every day, the message we hear is it's all about me, it's all about me, it's all about me. And so you might be getting uh, counsel from companions that seems wise in the culture's eyes, but it's not really wise in the Bible's eyes. I mean, just give me a, just a practical example. Let's say you've got a little beef with somebody in your life, and you end up feeling the urge to tell them off and put them in their place, right? And you've got a friend that says, you know what, man, they shouldn't have said that to you. You ought to just blast them for it right? That is wisdom in the world's eyes. It really is. There's not a lot of places you're going to go that that's, that's not going to look wise. The Bible would say, probably you, Proverbs especially would say, you might want to think about how you use your words in those relationships. You know, uh, in our culture's eyes and where we swim in our workplaces, it's probably not too wise to admit your faults and your failures, Right? But the Bible says you can't come to Jesus unless you're willing to do that. You see, that it, 
this is a lot more subtle and influential than just big outlandish things. And we've got to remember that when we look at this. It takes discernment. And so when we read something like that, we've got to pause and ask ourselves, what voices have influence in our life? Are they voices of wisdom or voices that put self-interest as king? Are they voices of wisdom or voices of general morality? There's a difference there. Wisdom and morality are different in general morality. And so what are the voices? We've got to take stock in that. So relations have power to influence. And so the question then becomes, how do you and I steward that power? How do we steward it? We've got it. It's in relationships. What does it look like to use that power? And this is where we start seeing what interdependence looks like on the ground. So let's talk about how friends steward their influence. How do the wise relationships help us become wise? How can we help others become wise? And I want you to go through through this. I want you to think on two levels. What do I need for my relationships, and then what do I need to give in my relationships? It's both those things. What do I need to receive? What do I need to give? And the first thing we see here, and and coming out of Proverbs 17, 17, is that we steward our influence through faithful presence, not just when it's convenient. It's faithful presence, right? And so, uh, remember, we're not solitary creatures like snakes or tigers. We need to be connected to others. And so, we're going to grow in wisdom And others are going to grow in wisdom when our relationships have a faithful presence to them. Think of it this way. Faithful presence in relationships is the fertile ground on which which growth is going to come. We need that in our life. And so we see this in Proverbs 17, 17. It says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. And that all times there, that's what I mean by faithful presence. It's a constancy. That influence is going to come over the long haul with faithful presence. And I think we begin to see here the collision between our culture's understanding of relationships and God's understanding. And I think the way it comes out is this idea that I want to put out there with contractual versus covenantal relationships. And so I want to mean contractual. I mean relationships where self's at the center. We're present to get something or when it's convenient. You see how that's contrasting with at all times? If there's an if on there, It's different than at all times. And so I want you to think about Amazon. I really think that we can tend to treat relationships like Amazon. Uh, So we choose what we like, we get it in two days, and if we don't like it, we send it back at no cost to ourselves. Right? We We want certain things in a friendship, and we expect it to happen overnight, and if it ain't what we like, we're done with it. So I'll be present if I get something out of the relationship, if it furthers my career or is fun. I'll be present if it doesn't interrupt my plans. Love and relationships aren't very efficient, are they? I'll be present if I can connect with them. And my perceived connection is important, but in the end, if it's all about my connection, what is it? Centered on me. I'll be present if they don't hurt me. That's That's a tricky one, right? Healthy relationships need to be safe. But the reality is, is, If you are going to be in a relationship, you will hurt one another. It's impossible not to. Covenant relationships, how God sees things, is different. Something bigger than self's at the center. God's understanding is that our presence in friendships is not based on what works for me. And this is where I would encourage you to come to our seminar. Because this begins to think, what does it look like for the gospel, not just to be something I understand up here, but influences how I relate to others? Our relationships are marked by the gospel. Jesus accepts me unconditionally. So my relationships are unconditional, right? Jesus sacrifices for, for me to do good for me. 
This is reflected in my relationship. Jesus is present with me, not just when I perform well. And so this is reflected in my relationships. And, and, and if we sit back and just look at contractual or covenantal relationships, I, and there's more to be had there in that discussion, I think we would probably say, yes, I want covenantal relationships. I want relationships where something else than me is at the center. And the reality is it takes experiencing this from Jesus in order to live it out in our own life, right? The gospel comes in and rearranges our internal framework. You and I walk in this morning, our natural bent is self at the center. You only get contractual relationships with self at the center. The gospel begins to rearrange that framework and joyful awe becomes what's central. And that could begin to influence our relationships as well. And again, this isn't everything that to be said about relationships. Certainly relationships are two-way streets. But the proverb is not meant to give us a full framework, but to challenge you where you are right now in your life, in your pathway you're walking. You've got to pause and think. Are your relationships more contractual or covenantal? Do you have any relationships that are marked by faithful presence? Are you willing to be present? And not just when it's convenient for you. The Proverbs wants to challenge you to think like that. And so we see a second way that we steward our influence. And it's through sharpening counsel. And we see this in 27 verses 5 and 6. It says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And so two verses side by side are dealing with the same thing. Open rebuke, wounds, wounding of a friend. This is, a, this, this is practically when you've got to ask a hard question of a friend, when you've got to bring uh, counsel to bear in that relationship that is corrective in nature. It isn't all that great or pleasant, right? And so that's why it says it's actually wounding here. It hurts. And again, we're beginning to see a collision between the world's understanding and our understanding. The world can think about rebuke and respond with this. Who gives you a right to say something to me? Right? You ever felt that rise up in you? Yeah, that's it's a little different here than what this passage is saying. Or the wounding in relationships often in the world's way is usually because of pain or self-interest. Many of you have heard that phrase, wounded people wound others or hurt people hurt others. and It's really true. A lot of times the wounding or the rebuke that comes in world's relationships comes out of pain, comes out of hurt, or comes out of self-interest. I'm going to get my point across, or I owe it to them to give this to them, or I just need to get this off my chest. All those things are just self-interested mind. The wounding comes from a heart that's centered on self. That's what happens in the world's relationships. Or even, even if our intentions are good, we can wound with a battle axe and not a scalpel, per se, right? And we'll deal with another proverb next week that deals with that. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. But our king and father gives us a different understanding and reveals how we were made to live interdependently. I mean, verse 5, he's basically saying, to say you love someone, but you're not willing to give them counsel they need to hear, this isn't very useful in God's eyes. God has a different vision for friendships. Real love is not going to hide what's needed to be said, but understands we're given relationships to help one another. We see verse 6 takes it even different, different, deeper. In God's world, friends are going to need to wound each other at times. Flattery and niceness at all times can be deceptive. It isn't necessarily a sign of real love. I mean, how did Judas betray Jesus? With a kiss. 
Sometimes our flattery and niceness can be very deceptive in hiding what's underneath. And the picture here is sometimes real love will involve wounding another. True friends will at times have to give counsel that's challenging, not easy to hear. It hurts. And the, po- the point is, is that you and I were designed to live interdependently, meaning at some point I'm going to need your counsel and your insight because I don't know what it's like to sit on the other side of me. You get that? We look at life through our frame of view. We need others. It's impossible to go through life with any sort of wisdom without having the sharpening counsel of others. Even the most wise among us is very narrow and needs the counsel of others. That's the picture we're getting here. And uh, I mean, I, I, could, I, I could give you some times of the worst woundings that I've had from friends. And here's what's interesting. As I was thinking back on it, two of the most worst woundings I've had weren't even from people I was really close with. And they said some really, really difficult things at some really important seasons in my life when I had no idea what it was like to be on the other side of me. And they hurt. But they were unbelievably necessary for me in my life. And that's the picture we get here. And these wounds in the Proverbs are trustworthy and faithful. Why? Because when it comes from a friend, in God's eyes, it's not about you but them. Right? It's out of love that we may have to wound each other. And again, a reminder, this isn't absolute. It's general. So it doesn't mean that you and I ought to take this potluck as an opportunity to go wound as many people as we can, right? That's not how it works. I mean, even just think, how does God work in correction? Does God correct you for everything that's wrong in your life right now? Does he? Some of us feel that way, but it's absolutely not true. God is unbelievably patient and very, very selective on the things he chooses to correct in our lives. Why? Because we couldn't handle all on full-out correction of everything that's off in our lives. And so this isn't a green light just to start wounding everybody. It's thinking like the Father and his love, and it's very selective. And at times, we may have to give counsel that's sharpening and hard, right? That's the picture here. And I realize we can't give everything there is to know about correction, so we're going to put an article on social media that will give you a lot more insights on maybe what, would, uh, what does it look like to give and receive correction. So we'll put that out on Monday since we can't talk about it more fully here. But then we see another angle in how we steward or influence, and this was Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen. Let's read this. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. And so this is similar to the previous proverb, but it's got some different elements to it. And so the process of two pieces of metal sharpening one another, it's messy and difficult. Sparks fly. Yet two pieces of metal are actually needed to sharpen one another. That's the point. We will be dull and effective without the sharpening influence and insights of others. That's what it's screaming at us right here, right? And, it's, and that sharpening influence isn't necessarily a verbal rebuke. It might just be good conversation of a connect group. It might just be observing one another's lives. I mean, there's many ways that we're sharpening just by being around people and seeing how they do life. It has a sharpening effect on us. And again, I really believe there's another collision that's taking place between the world understanding and our understanding of relationships. And I see it in two ways. I think, one, if there's going to be sharpening, it takes something below the surface, right? If relationships stay superficial, which is how the world would prefer it, 
We don't want to let our junk out there. It's going to be very difficult to sharpen one another. We've got to get below the surface. But also, I think the sharpening implies that we're somebody's different than us, right? For us to be sharpened by someone else's counsel, they've got to see the world a little bit differently than us. But if we're honest, we prefer relationships where everybody sees the world the same way we do. But if we're really going to move forward, we've got to have relationships with people who are going to think a little bit differently, have different interests in different stages of life at different times that can offer something a little different than what we're used to. But the world wants relationships that are easy, that are superficial, that are nice on the surface, and we just like to do fun things together. And so this is challenging, again, our world's view of understanding. And overall, I think what's happening here is that this kind of sharpening counsel and these wounds, they really only make sense if friends are there for more than just making us feel good. If God has truly designed us to live interdependently, then these Proverbs make sense. Then we see, begin to see that we need the sharpening influence of others. Then we begin to see that we can easily be blind and need to be rescued from a pathway of foolishness. That's the picture. That's the understanding. That's the assumption that's coming out of here. But despite, despite in God's world, friends being given us to us to help us follow in wisdom, I really believe that we struggle to be either willing or to give Willing to receive or willing to give these kind of wounds, this kind of sharpening counsel. And why? As I've been reflecting on my own life, I, I, I think it comes down to pride, right? Maybe we don't want to seek counsel because we don't want to stop doing what we're doing. Have any of you ever been selective in who you ask for counsel? Oh, very easy to do, right? Why? Because they, we want counsel that's going to affirm our path, not contradict it, Right? Maybe we don't want to be found out as having it all together. And if things stay superficial, then everyone's going to think I'm okay. It's pride, right? Or maybe we can think, who are you to speak into my life? What gives you the right to say anything to me? All those come down to pride. But God is saying this pathway of wisdom is a joint venture. God has designed us to need wounds at times. And when we revere something other than ourselves, we can begin to receive these wounds, receive this counsel, and even give it, right? So how, how are you wielding and stewarding influence? Are there people around you who feel like they could wound you and you would still show up the next day? Are there people that, who know the off-limit areas of your life who would even know how to give you sharpening counsel, right? Who do you sharpen? Do you enter every relationship expecting something, or are you giving it? What does it look like? Well, friends in God's world steward their power to influence their presence and their willingness to sharpen and give counsel. So where do we go from here? I'm going to give you two points of application. The first one is that don't live isolated, but walk with the wise. And the point is that you can't steward what you don't have. <laughs> you can't steward influence if you don't have friendships. You need them. But I want, to give a, I want to give a couple caveats, and this is where the, the Proverbs don't speak to every situation, right? So when, you, when I say don't live isolated, I don't want you to hear surround yourself with moral people. There's a difference there. It doesn't say whoever walks with the moral will become moral. And I would say this, that oftentimes when we surround ourselves with moral people, moral people, not wise people, moral people tend to be more self-righteous. Self-righteous is just another path of foolishness. 
with self at the center. That will, you will suffer harm if you, your companion, are self-righteous moral people. This says surround yourself with wise people. It's a difference there. And I don't want you to hear that I can't be around people who think and believe differently than me. I think you could land there. I think if you, you just read this proverb in isolation, the Proverbs 13, 20, in isolation from the rest of the Bible, you might come away, I can only be friends with wise people. Here's the problem. God also calls you to influence this world. God also calls you to go out into our culture, make friends, and love people around you who are unwise. Not only does God call us that, he sent his son to show us what that looks like. And I think the reality is, is that you and I got to think about our life and where the balance is at. And so we don't live isolated. We need to walk with the wise. But if you look around and the only people that, that, that know you and that you're friends with, that you spend time with, are people who think and believe just like you as far as the f- worldview of Christianity and along lines of wisdom, you might need a few more unwise friends. Not because... You need to be wrongly influenced by them, but because God's wisdom flows out from you to the world. That's the design of it. But it's also the flip. If you look around and you think about the people I spend most time with that know me most would tend to walk in this pathway of being unwise, i got to figure out what does it look like to reorient and bring more balance there. Those closest to you, those who know you the most and that you know the most, you want them to be in this joint venture with you. Don't live isolated. But secondly, I would say there, be a good friend to give and receive. That we really need to think, what does it look like to be faithful, faithfully present and give good counsel? I don't mean go around and be advice givers, right? Find ways to be present with others. Listen, every one of us knows the busyness of life. What does it look like in your busyness to be present with others? And I would encourage you, wounds are more easily received by others if they, if you lead with your own vulnerability. And so if relationships are marked by you dump trucking problems and never asking other people questions and never wanting to get to know people, it's not going to go very well if you try to sharpen or give some hard counsel. In our relationships, the pattern ought to be leading with vulnerability and interest in others. And if those are the patterns, then when it comes time to wound, It's a different world, and we can receive it and give it in a different way. And I really believe, as I I just look at what God is laying out before us here, that it takes great courage and security if we're going to move forward with these kind of relationships. Great courage and security. And I really believe that that courage and security only comes as you and I grasp what our friend Jesus has done for us. It's the only way. If we want what the Proverbs is teaching, it's not a self-help proverb you just pluck out of the grand story of the gospel. He came after us. He has loved us despite our flaws. He has given us an identity that is secure and stable as his adopted sons and daughters. And he has set you in a family to give you the relationships you need to thrive. And the more we rest in those realities the more we will really long to steward the relationships he's given us. And the more we rest in those realities, we will actually be empowered to be faithfully present and be willing to give and receive sharpening counsel. Let's pray. Father, um, we didn't even talk about the the loneliness epidemic that's in our culture uh, right now. And 
My guess is that every one of us in here would say that we, at times, struggle with loneliness and uh, struggle with being faithfully present, that we're hesitant to give or receive sharpening counsel. And the very reason why you gave, give us your word, God, is, is because we need to hear these very things. We need these things in our life. And Father, so what I want to ask that you would do, that even as we turn towards uh, the Lord's Supper, would this be a tangible reminder of the lengths you've gone to be befriend us? And would we grasp and understand that as we're invited into the table, not required to bring anything but our own sin, would you help us to bring that same kind of posture of grace to our friendships? Would you teach us what it means that we're a friend of Jesus? And would you teach us what it looks like to live out these friendships in our life? It's your name we pray. Amen.